0: If you would, please turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 6. How's everybody doing? Everybody alive and awake? Ready to go? Okay. I have really enjoyed learning more uh, about the gospel of Mark and the ministry of Jesus. There's a lot of stuff. Uh, in in the gospel narratives where you've heard it before and you are familiar with the story and you've got a lot of Sunday school behind you, so you kind of know some things, but it's really, really been great to dive in deeper and get a a deeper understanding of what's going on in here. So this story in particular is going to classify as one of those that everybody in here has heard. Um, And we want to just ask God to give us fresh bread this morning. We're going to start with verse 30. We're going to read through verse 44, and then we're going to pray, and we will dive in. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd." were 5000 men. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying and that our hearts would be receptive. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak and communicate clearly. God, give me the insight this morning I need from your spirit. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have heard this story before? Raise your hand. You've heard this story before. How many of you heard this story before you were 10 years old? Raise your hand. How many of you heard that story uh, decades and decades? Okay, you don't have to keep raising your hand. We've heard this before. But in order to make sure we're all on the same page... We need to just recalibrate because there's been two Sundays since we last spoke uh, out of the book of Mark. So let's go back and remember that the last time we were in Mark, John the Baptist had his head cut off. How many remember that? And that came on the heels of Jesus having sent his disciples out. So Jesus had returned to Nazareth. He encountered radical unbelief. He could do no mighty works there. He was totally rejected in his own hometown The narrative specifically says he brought the disciples along and there was a clear indication Jesus is intentionally training his disciples, preparing them, letting them know that it's not all going to be peaches and cream in their ministry. There's going to be difficulty, there's going to be rejection. And so they move into uh, the next little phase where Jesus gives them authority over demons and over diseases. And then he sends them out, and he tells them with specific instructions not to take anything, and you remember all of that. So he gives them that authority, and they have went out, and they are healing the sick, casting out devils with the authority that Jesus gave. So just picture, if you will, what's happened in this little Galilean area. Uh, And what's happened is Jesus was a really big bomb that had went off, And everybody was talking about him. And now he equips his disciples like little hand grenades and just tosses them out even further into the villages. And now there's explosions of the power of God all over the place. So the whole area is just buzzing with what's going on. Because if you're at the marketplace and you see a guy who was crippled, who's now healed, and you ask what happened, they're going to tell the story. The, the word of what was going on spreads. If crazy Jimmy over here that was demon possessed and frothing at the mouth is now, <clears throat> excuse me, sane and in his right mind, you're gonna have some questions. How did Jimmy get this way? Well, this one guy that came under the authority of Jesus, who we've all been hearing about, he came and cast the demon out. And this was going on all over the place. The text doesn't give us exactly how long it was going on, but we know it was going on for a little while, and then they all came back. When they come back <clears throat> is verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So what Jesus is doing uh, in this narrative and the story that we've read is he says, alright guys, you have worked really hard. Let's get away to rest. And Jesus says specifically, a desolate or a wilderness place. Now all throughout Mark, he mentions wilderness a lot. There is a lot of talk about getting away, a lot of talk about being in the wilderness. There's a lot of wilderness discussion in the book of Mark. And here... Jesus wants to get the disciples off by themselves and let them rest. And specifically, verse 32, uh, it says, well, verse 31, it says, there were people coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So it's pretty simple to see what had happened. They're all famous, everybody knows who they are. All these miracles have been happening, and you've heard about it, and now you see them, you're like, hey, that's those guys. I've got a bunion. I need it healed. I mean, there's who knows exactly, but there was a lot of things like that going on. People were flocking to the miracles. Nothing like this had ever happened before. Truthfully, nothing like this has ever happened since, because it's Jesus, the Messiah, in the flesh, among His people, with His disciples. They're doing incredible things, and they're flocking to Him. And they can't even eat. I just I made a little note here that says if you're in ministry of any kind, there comes a place where you need rest, and you don't always get it, because that's what happens here. Jesus says, "Let's get away to rest," and they get in the boat, and what happens? All they're doing is Jesus. If you see the the map of of the the, the Sea of Galilee, they're just trying to get. A, in the boat move up the road a little bit to this nice little area that's desolate and remote but look at look at what happens in verse 32 they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves now many saw them they saw them going they recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them so they can tell what's going on. Just like locally, if, if you see where somebody's going off on a path or on a property that you're familiar with, like, I know where they're going. They're going over here, around the ridge or whatever. And they all get there before them. So when Jesus gets off the boat with his disciples with the intention to rest, there's a giant crowd waiting. He went ashore, saw it, verse 34, saw a great crowd, and listen to the words that it uses, that that Mark gives us. Rather than being irritated. Let me just pause. You just gave me a really nice pastor appreciation gift. So let me just say that... How do I say this? Uh, If it had been me... And I'd been worn out, and I was like, I just need to go take a nap. And I get to my house, and there's a big crowd, or I'm trying to go on vacation, there's a big crowd. Pastor Steve, we we just need to talk to you. I would probably talk to you, but I'm not sure that the text being written about me would say, and Steve being filled with compassion. It would probably say something like, Steve, in his pridefulness and arrogance, was greatly annoyed, that's probably what it would say about me, or maybe about any one of us. You're tired and you're worn out, and you just want to rest, and there's a big crowd of people. And Jesus shows us who he is, because he does not react that way. It doesn't tell us what the disciples are doing, but I have a feeling that Peter is rolling his eyes somewhere in the back. I just wanted something to eat. Can I just get five minutes? I just I, It doesn't say that. I just am imagining that's kind of the feeling that's going on. But Jesus has compassion on these people. So look at, look at exactly what it says, though. Verse 34, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep Without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Daryl, would you put up Ezekiel thirty-four, five, and six? Um, the man, this big screen is really great, isn't it? Uh, as my eyesight gets worse and worse, it's very helpful. So, okay, that's Romans. It's Ezekiel. Let me just jump there real quick. Ezekiel, what did I say? Thirty-four. I want to to read you something that is prophesied about the Messiah. In Ezekiel 34, 5, it says, this is Ezekiel prophesying about the children of Israel who have been robbed by bad shepherds. Um, It's really a very scary passage of Scripture if you're a pastor. Uh, And so this is what God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd, And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And then if you skip down in Ezekiel uh, to verse 20, it says, Therefore thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep And the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Now Ezekiel was prophesying this after David is long dead. He's not talking about David coming back from the dead, he's talking about the one promised through the line of David, which every Jew reading this would have understood to be the coming Messiah. This is a messianic prophecy about God sending a true shepherd to His people because the sheep have been scattered. They're the victim of bad sheep, bad shepherds, and wild prey. And God is sending the true shepherd into their midst to seek them, to save them, to rescue them, to comfort them, to help them. And that is the Messiah. We already know who that is. It's Jesus. But look at verse 26. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. When Mark is writing what he's writing about Jesus, and he's saying that they're in the wilderness, and he's saying that Jesus is moved with compassion because they are like sheep scattered, it is it is a clear throwback in the minds of the readers of Mark, the Remember, when we read the Bible, we've got to think like the people who first got it, not just like ourselves and what it means to us, though that is important. In order for us to really understand what it means, we've got to understand the audience it was written to. This is the first century church reading this, knowing that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and Savior of the world. They they know all of that, and Mark is clearly wanting everybody to understand that Jesus is in that role, in this moment, in this miraculous setting of the feeding of the 5,000, as the shepherd that is in the wilderness with his people doing exactly what Ezekiel says he's going to do. In fact, the the motive of the Old Testament is constantly showing Jesus as the shepherd, as the savior, as the gatherer, as, as the one who's going to bring promise and healing and the covenant of redemption and all of that. About the Messiah, Jesus is personifying it here, and Mark wants us to see that. Jesus is filled with compassion because he, God in the flesh, recognizes the moment, these are my people scattered, they have no shepherd, and I am here, the shepherd. And he begins to teach them. He's not annoyed. Jesus has a purpose. He has a mission. This is, this is really important because Jesus is showing that he is the true, the good, the compassionate shepherd. And the location of the miracle, like I've already said, it points to who Jesus really is. The rescuing shepherd that's providing safety right in the middle of the wilderness. So that's, that's the setting of this miracle. Now, Jesus is going to continue training His disciples. Now let's just remember, Just, I want you to think with me, these disciples have been casting out demons, healing the sick, and preaching the coming of the kingdom. If it was us, if it was me, I would be feeling on a spiritual high. I told a bunch of demons to leave, and they listened. I told a bunch of diseases to disappear, and they did. There's a crowd of people chasing me on the shoreline as I'm trying to get around on the boat. I have clearly arrived somewhere in spiritual importance, right? I am important. Notice me, please. That's how I would feel. Someone write a blog, please, about the ministry of Steve Wayne and all that he's doing. We know the disciples had the same exact issues that we would have because they're human beings, but it's also comforting to know just how thick-headed they are, even after... It's, it's hard to me sometimes. They're casting out demons. They're, they're healing the sick. And even if any one of you have been involved in anything that God has ever done and it's been miraculous and awesome, the frequency by which these disciples are doing it in the name of Jesus, is way more than what you and I have ever experienced in our life, and yet they're about to do one of the big blunders. Really big blunders. Because for some reason, they don't get who Jesus is, really. They do, but they don't. And before we judge them, I'd say we're probably not much different. Okay. Let's, let's dive back here into the text. Verse 35. He's taught them. There's this big crowd. And when it grew late, his disciples came to, him, came to him and said, this is a desolate place. This is the wilderness. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus. These people have been here all day. They're hungry. By the way, I don't know if you remember, but we were coming here to eat. And we got interrupted. Why don't you send these people away? Go back home and get out and they can eat. Verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Jesus has now, he's been teaching the crowds, but now he is transitioning to his group, his leaders, his apostles that he is going to turn the world upside down with these guys you do it and rather than them saying you know what we've cast out a bunch of demons we've healed a lot of the sick this must be one of those times where Jesus is giving us authority to do something this must be a moment where he his glory is going to be on display that's not what they did (laughs) they said uh, let me find it. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Which, by the way, 200 denarii is one year's salary. That's a lot of money. Because there were 5,000 men, and you already know that means there were more people than just men there. There were women and children there. Somewhere between probably eight and 15,000 people. The Cam Henderson Center, I looked this up this morning. Anybody been to a basketball game at Marshall? When it's completely full? When was the last time that happened? Was that recently? Greg, somebody? Okay, so the complete full capacity, it's a little over 9,000 sit there. So just imagine, we'll go on the low end, imagine every single person in the Cam Henderson Center needing food. And we know they can't go to the concession stand because nobody makes enough money to afford the concession stand. So, they're all hungry. Just take everybody in the Cam Henderson and plop them out in the middle of Wayne County. They're away from everything else. There's not time to get... They're just, there's this giant crowd of people. That's the disciples' response. Verse 38. And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Now, before we go any further, let's just remember some things about what God has done in the past. Did God not feed the children of Israel in the the wilderness for 40 years manna from heaven? Literal bread from heaven. Did he not do that for 40 years? Yes, he did. There's another story in 2 Kings 4, you don't have to turn there, where Elisha feeds a hundred men with twenty loaves of bread with a very similar miracle. In fact, he uses similar words to Jesus when he tells the men to feed them. This, This is something that has happened before, God working with bread. But the guys that worked all the miracles, totally clueless, and Jesus is using this... As a training moment let 's go to John chapter six this by the way i didn 't mention this. this is the only miracle in all the gospels all four other than the resurrection. This miracle is the only one that shows up in all four, which means it 's fairly important and in John chapter six um, it it gives us. it gives us a little clue of something that's going on in how this works. John chapter 6, verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, so it's more specific in John, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus, I just wanted you to see that, Jesus is intentional and specific because He is training the disciples. And I I want us all to see that, that God is not just randomly trying to make things work out as they happen. God is sovereign over the world and is working things into happening through our lives and He is training us. All the time. And here, they don't know it, but Jesus is rhetorically saying, so what are we going to do? Huh? What are we going to do? But he knows exactly what he's going to do. He already knows there's five loaves and two fish. He already knows exactly what he's going to do. It's just important. Important. He wants to train them and he wants their faith to be somewhere that it isn't currently. And it, it's teaching us in this moment that God will lead us through places of failure on purpose because these guys are going to fail. They, they, they fail spectacularly to understand exactly what Jesus is doing. And yet he leads them through that anyway it just tells us that god is not god is not going to prevent all of our failures that may be a lesson we all have to learn sometimes painfully that god doesn't prevent all failures and keep everything as neat and tidy as we would like but every one of our failures If we will go before the King of Kings and say, Help me, there is a lesson that he's teaching us and learning us and helping us with and growing us. And this is one of those moments. Because they're about to see a really radical miracle. Okay. You give them something to eat. And they said, where are we going to get it? Blah, blah, blah. Verse 39. He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all, so it's the whole crowd, to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. Now that that has a significance uh, in the fact that uh, that is the way Moses split up the companies uh, in Israel. That's uh the way that there's several different uh, Jewish thoughts about uh, organizing in the, the very end times, and it's in groups of 50s and 100s, but I'm not going to go into all of that. Um, what what we really want to see is, is that once they sit down, he gets the loaves, and what does he do? Verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven, says a blessing, breaks the loaves, Gives it to the disciples to give out before the people. So Jesus prays the same traditional blessing that every Jewish person prays before they eat. How many of you have watched the chosen? have you you've heard them pray a prayer before they eat? You know what the prayer is. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. That is the prayer they pray before they eat meals generally. I learned something interesting in studying this. They pray before the meal, and they pray after the meal. I'd always heard that Jews uh, prayed after the meal, but they they do it on both ends of the meal uh, as Thanksgiving, which since we're coming into that season, I thought that would be something interesting to think about That Thanksgiving surrounds the meal, honoring God who gave it to us, rather than just take for granted all the food that we've got. That, God, thank you for the job that I have that makes this food possible, makes everything that I have possible. Thank you, King of the universe. I love the prayer that brings forth this food into my house. So Jesus does this in front of the crowd. Do you know how shocked they would be about that? they would be shocked this much. They would be zero shocked. Because that is normal. Now the one thing he does that's a little different is when the Jews prayed this before a meal, they bowed their head, and Jesus, it says, lifted his head up to heaven. That is the only difference. He looks up and he is acknowledging, Lord, bless this. Thank you for this. It is not any more radical than a normal, ritualistic prayer of thanksgiving. There's something you really need to think about in this. When they pray that prayer, blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Imagine the moment where the actual king of the universe prays this prayer. The king of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth, is standing there in Galilee, in the wilderness, breaking bread to give out to every single one of those people. They don't know who he is. But that's what happens. Now, when you read, there's a little bit of a letdown. If an American had been in charge of writing this portion of Scripture, there would have been more detail. Because what do we want to know? I I think everybody wants to know, what in the world did this look like? They had five loaves, and two fish, which was a peasant's meal, by the way. This is the blue-collar meal. This is peanut butter and jelly in your lunch pail. That's what this is. What did it look like when he sets it before them? Let's, let's read exactly what it says. Verse 41, he, takes, he does the blessing. Uh, he divides the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. There are absolutely no details. I, I want to know if I took 12 of you and I split up a five loaves of bread and two fish and I gave each of you a portion to start distributing to the crowd, what does it look like? Do, does, does it look like I grab a piece of the bread and I hand it to you and when I look back the piece of bread is still there? Has anybody ever thought this through? Like, what what does this look like? He doesn't tell us. It had to look something like that, though. See, that's what we all want. We want these minute details. Lord, how are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? How are you going to fix this? How's this going to work? I need some details, Lord. I need details. And God just says, would you focus on what is important What's important is, I'm the Messiah, the Good Shepherd, in the wilderness, demonstrating my majesty and glory, and I will satisfy you if you will just trust me. Look to me. Quit trying to figure out the details and the little things, because that is your way of assuring yourself, everything's going to work out fine. If I could just get some more information. And God is not giving it. What He wants is trust, faith, and acknowledging Him as the King of the universe from whom all the bread of the earth comes. That's what He wants. And I think we kind of like, well, that's actually not all that complicated. That's fairly simple. It's, it's simple to say. It is not simple to feel and to do. That's why this is in here. It's demonstrating the glory of God. This, this miracle is not so much about the people as it is about who made the satisfaction for the people possible. This miracle is about pointing with gigantic halogen light bulbs at Jesus and who He is. But that verse 42, just that short little sentence, and they all ate and were satisfied. Satisfied. At some point, I've got to think that ruffling or going through the crowd is a murmur that says, uh, where'd they get all this food? Because I don't know... Do you know how big a crowd of 9,000 people is? Can you see all the way to the front of the crowd? Well, you kind of can, but not really. So the people in their back are like, where did they get all the food? How much food would it take? A lot. And when they're done verse 43 they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish those who ate the loaves were five thousand men there are so many little things and I've heard great sermons that about God is more than enough and and this demonstrates that and and all all of that is, is true but God is simply, I believe in this miracle, demonstrating that if you want satisfaction, you are not going to find it anywhere but in Him. The real satisfaction of the soul is going to come from Him. He, He's doing so many different things here. And seeing... Seeing Jesus having compassion on the crowd and teaching them about the kingdom of God, and then turn to his disciples and train them in the same moment with different things, it tells me that Jesus can do multiple things at once. Frequently, people will tell me after a sermon, remember when you said this? And I do not remember when I said that. Uh, I didn't mean to say that. In fact, I thought, oh no, that's probably stupid. Uh, not that you ever second guess after you're done preaching, um, but you do. Uh, and, and it's weird. I, I, you get to a point where you're just like, okay, this clearly has nothing to do with me. I have my part to play, which is to open my mouth and the study and to be ready and the, but the Holy spirit, if he doesn't communicate through the scripture into your heart, It doesn't matter how smart I am, or how clever I am, or how many illustrations I use that make sense. All of that is really irrelevant unless God is involved in the sermon. It's just really the truth. And so Jesus is demonstrating that concept here when he's able to have compassion and recognize that these people in the wilderness need a shepherd, and in the meantime he's got under shepherds in training that need the training on how to be shepherds, and they're going to totally mess it up and totally miss it, and he's going to use that to train them. And if you're like, where does Steve get that they've totally messed it up? Just skip all the way down to a verse we didn't read. Go to verse 52 in Mark. Verse 51, actually. This will be next week. And he got into the boat with them after walking on water. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The end of the walking on water portion ends with a reference back to this. It's just, when you read it, it's almost like, wait, what did that have to, how did, why? Because they totally missed it, because their hearts were hardened. They had just cast out all those demons. They had just healed all that those sick people. That didn't mean that they automatically understood everything. There's a lot for us to learn in this. We never arrive. We never get to a place where like, oh, I've got it figured out. We never ever should ever feel like I'm a pretty mature Christian. In fact, the, the longer I serve God, the more juvenile and ridiculous I feel about myself, the more I wonder, how do they even let me be a pastor? Uh, I mean, seriously, you just start thinking, oh man, have I just been standing out in the rain the whole time like an idiot? Yes, yes, Steve, as a matter of fact, you have. And I had compassion on you and mercy on you. And that is comforting to me to know that God is not waiting on our perfection in order to use or train or do anything with us, God is using knuckleheads all the time, and this is another example of that, and part of what I want to say out of this miracle, kind of a surprise application is, don't wait around to get it all figured out before you go out and do anything for the Lord, don't wait, well, when I'm older, when I'm doing less of these sins, when I'm when I'm better at this, when I have a greater understanding. Because you'll wait until you're dead. Because you're never going to get where you've got this mystical place in the back of your mind you're supposed to get. You're never going to get there. You and I, to be faithful followers of Jesus, should go out and do works of ministry everywhere. At work, at home, with our families, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, we should be talking about Jesus, looking for opportunities to minister, to love, to show compassion, looking for ways not to start fights, but to end them, looking for ways to heal, not create divisions. We, we should be looking for hope, not how we can spread cynicism and despair. Right? This is what we as Christians should be doing. Don't wait to have perfect understanding. God had a point in this miracle. Jesus is the Messiah. He is full of compassion. He satisfies the soul in the wilderness. He teaches in multiple ways out of the same lesson. 4D chess. You hear that a lot, right? Jesus, Jesus can make, make a little kid get something that a a saint that's been been around for 70 years can get something out of the same lesson. God can do all of that. And Jesus is the fountainhead of the kingdom of God. He is the kingdom present. This miracle shows that the kingdom of God may start with something like five loaves and two fish. God multiplies that. Everywhere, like that little mustard seed that grows up into a big mustard bush plant. We, we are inheritors of this message of the kingdom. So, this week, find a way to minister to somebody. Find a way to help somebody. Find a way to do it in a way that glorifies God and not you. I want people to know that I did this thing. That's not the way. The the way that we do it is Lord this is unto you. My job, my work, everything and this ministry, this moment of compassion, this prayer I'm going to pray whatever I'm going to make a phone call today to somebody that's hurting. I'm going to I'm going to forgive somebody that's offended me. I'm going to do I'm going to be a Christian this week. And I'm going to trust in Jesus as I do because He's the miracle worker that can make anything out of something small. We aren't in charge of figuring out all the details of how He's going to do that. Well, maybe if I say this, that will lead to this. When you start thinking that way, just throw it out the window. What is the right thing to do? Do that thing. Don't try to figure all the details out. It is hard to say what God would do. If we started offering up our little peasant meals in our life to Him and say, Lord, this is what I got. I want you to multiply it. Do something with this. It's in your name I pray and now go after it. Action. God wants action from His people. He wants movement. He doesn't want you to wait around for things to be perfect because it's never getting there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand up. Jesus actually refers back to this miracle several times in the book of Mark and other places. Makes you wonder sometimes just how important these moments are. So I want to end with just one final application. This is a story we've heard a thousand times. Everybody acknowledged that at the beginning. But please look at your Bible reading as food for the soul rather than duty that must be done. Um, Because even in these stories that we know so well and are so familiar with, you have not plumbed the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. (laughs) None of us have. So I just want to encourage you, even though you're like, wow, I've I've heard this a hundred times about the the feeding of the 5,000. It wouldn't hurt you to read it tomorrow after hearing a sermon on it today. And who knows what fresh bread God's got for you in that scripture reading. So I just want to encourage you to read your Bibles. Make it a part of of your daily routine and life um, and let God do his work by his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and we thank you for your word. There's a lot I left out and could have said and, Lord, I pray that you would take what was said this morning and help us, grow us, teach us, encourage us. Lord, let us be people of compassion. Let us be fully submitted to the shepherd, Follow in your footsteps, looking under your face so that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Lord, we ask for opportunities this week, that we would shine like lights in a dark place. I pray that every one of us would do that. Lord, I thank you for your hope and your joy. Thank you for your work in this city and in this town and in this church and in the people that are listening and listening online. God, we are looking to you and asking you to pour out your spirit on all flesh. And We thank you for it, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are officially dismissed. Tell somebody, uh, maybe not Happy Halloween, but All Saints Day.